The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Happy Tuesday to everybody. We are here for Dunked On Live on Green Room and one day before Game 4 of the NBA Finals. And so we'll start with taking some of your questions. Chris, you are on the air. Oh wow! I, I got I got first dibs with the legends. How's it going, guys? Good, so, how Chris. Are you? I'm 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 doing well. You know, can't can't complain. Um, I guess I'll start with a Sixers related question because some Sixers news came out today. Um, what do you guys think of the? And I know Danny that you had done some reporting on the. I believe the Timberwolves kind of side of things with you know a possible trade package for Ben Simmons. Um, to me, I know that this, the split is probably inevitable, at least in my opinion at this point now. Um, you know, I know that Damian Lillard's always going to be kind of a name that's floating out there. Whether or not that happens is another thing. But with those possible suitors being listed in um, Shams's athletic article, um, how do you guys feel about that initial list of teams? Like, are you guys kind of surprised? Are you guys disappointed in what in what those teams are are not offering, but in what those teams are? Basically, my question is, does that list of teams surprise you as people who would be calling about Ben Simmons? And would you be disappointed from the Sixers? Yeah, so let's see. Let, let's get those teams listed off here first. We've got, uh, I'm looking at Chum's article right now. They want an all-star caliber player in return. Where does it say the specific teams in there? Am I missing that? I was like, I read this article and now I'm rereading it. If I remember correctly, I think it was the Kings, Timberwolves, um, the Raptors had some interest. Um, it might have been in a tweet, if we're being honest, Nate. Like, it might have oh, been in like, okay, a subsequent yeah, tweet. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what it is. Um, all right, this is riveting radio here. But I can go conceptually kind of on it in terms of like Ben Simmons is a challenging a challenging player to fit around, and while we know he has undeniable strengths, he also has specific weaknesses. And Simmons, unlike a lot of talented young players, he is already on a big contract. So you think about the logistics of a Ben Simmons trade. He is making thirty three million for the upcoming season, and will make more than that over the subsequent three. So he has four more years under contract. And logistically, that makes it difficult. That's a lot to take on. You know, we did see the Timberwolves take on D'Angelo Russell, who had a lot of money on his books. And we were skeptical on whether he was going to be worth that or not. And with Simmons, I I think Simmons' track record is stronger than Russell's, but you do have similar kind of challenges. And there's an understanding, which I think is a little bit delayed, but still real, that fitting around Ben Simmons isn't the easiest thing to do in the world. And so it wouldn't surprise me, it doesn't surprise me, that there are teams that are less interested there. And if you think about the specific challenges for the Sixers of you, they don't probably want to take back a ridiculous contract or take back something else. And they're looking to make their team competitive right now. They have Joel Embiid, who was my permitted MVP. I think he was Nate's as well. So what they're looking for, what the Sixers are looking for is something probably very specific that a lot of teams don't have. And then Simmons is something very specific that some teams might not be as interested. Yeah, sorry, Chris. I still can't find uh, what you're talking about. I went through all of Shams' tweets in the last uh, 24 hours uh, or so. Um, yeah, what, what he, he says in his article is, Sixers have opened up trade conversations surrounding Simmons and have engaged with teams. These sources also say that teams have engaged with the Sixers about Simmons have been met with a high price threshold. They want an all-star caliber player in return. And so that that to me becomes difficult in a number of respects. The first respect is who is an all-star caliber player who even wants to be moved right now. Now you might say Zach Levine would be a possibility, uh, but there's no indication that the Bulls want to move on from him or that they would value Simmons over him necessarily, despite the fact that Simmons is under contract for longer. I mean, for me, the only way that you get an 
like a guy who actually has been an all-star and you know is playing at an all-star level right now the only way you get him for Simmons is if that guy wants out because I see Simmons as yes he's quote-unquote all-star caliber but you know I thought of him as a very low-end all-star even before this some teams might feel differently but then you see what happened where the Sixers now kind of have to trade him as you acknowledged I think we all kind of acknowledge that at this point and his stock has probably never been lower and so I just don't see unless they're willing to also throw in assets with Simmons but more importantly they need to have an all-star who actually wants to be moved that a team doesn't want to hold on to because I would say if you're classifying Simmons as an all-star he probably has a lower value than essentially any other all-star right now what do you guys think of that I would agree with that I think that um I think that this this past year and probably a cumulative past few years um has really done some damage on Simmons' stock. Like, you obviously have the defensive versatility, but um, to have a player who seemingly has a mental block to get to the line and be aggressive and even just shoot the ball, you know, that's going to be difficult to to put on any sort of professional basketball team and, and build an effective offense around. Um, we've seen the Sixers go through about what seems like nine different teams in the past four years, um, and Simmons has struggled not necessarily in every single one but he's he's never really shown his his super peak offensively there's never really been anything like amazing from him um just to let you know nate the the tweet it might have been from shams i saw in the comments it was deleted but mark stein reported that cleveland indiana minnesota toronto and sacramento are among the teams to express interest in so, yeah, so okay. what I think, so, what I th- yeah, what ahead, I think sorry, is Dan. interesting about that list is there is a clear argument at the moment, in, at this moment in time, that Ben Simmons is most valuable to a team that isn't aspiring to the last few rounds of the playoffs because I mean, we saw it this year that if, if he's not being aggressive offensively and you, you want him on the floor because he's a defensive talent, that that will be real problems and the specifics about adjusting to a, an opponent's strengths and weaknesses in the playoffs are so fundamentally different than the regular season. So I actually... I don't like that list if I'm a Sixers fan, you know, because those aren't necessarily, depending on what assets they're willing to include, that isn't the most loaded group of asset-rich teams. However, I do think that it's a group of teams that could really benefit from Simmons. And we often talk about the idea of, well, where would Ben Simmons be best? And and that's a fair discussion to have. And we've, we've had it in Green Room, we've had it other places. But the other one to think about is what kind of team, what specific teams would benefit a lot from having Ben Simmons? And I, w- I had actually thought about the Indiana Pacers at one moment in time because the Pacers could having somebody who could push it in transition who could help give them an identity there also be a lead defender and then you also still have other players Sabonis depending on depending on who's still on the on the Pacers if that's if they're included they have other players to give them a half-court offensive identity so I actually think that would be a really fascinating fit depending on what the pack yeah Cleveland there's been some smoke around Colin Sexton in the last few days Uh, Jason Lloyd had a, a report on that uh that you know they're not willing to offer in the max and that maybe they'd be willing to move him you know i don't consider colin sexton to be all-star caliber necessarily minnesota to me doesn't have a player that philly would be interested in who's really you know unless it's anthony edwards but even he seems like too far behind joel and bead's timeline yeah indiana certainly like tj warren and gosh who you know and malcolm brogdon you know with that i think i would actually be pretty interested in doing that if i were philly toronto you imagine that kyle lowry would be involved in that uh, somehow but you, i think you would want more than that if you're the sixers um but then the simmons siakam fit is a great so would siakam be involved in that then you got to throw another salary for philly then you run into the hard cap issues with it because you're getting lowry and a sign and trade uh and sacramento doesn't have anyone that they want i mean you know unless it's tyrese halberton like, to be the center of that package again he seems a little bit far behind Embiid's timeline but this is this is where you're running into problems i think and you know frankly they're probably gonna rue the fact that they didn't trade him a couple of years ago uh but you know nobody there's no way they were going to do that uh, but i you know i think i recall saying that they should probably look into that you know after 2019 and just bring back butler and build their team around butler and Embiid. man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because 
my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us yeah that's uh i mean 12 minutes or so here on uh these ben simmons talks so maybe we should uh move on to the next topic du jour we can do that thanks to chris for the question clifton you are on the air oh hey guys um i'm a big fan of the pod um I got dunked on Prime and I've been listening to your um, scouting reports of of the top prospects in next year's uh, draft. Um, I just, since it doesn't seem like you guys are particularly enamored with any of the people you've gone through so far, um, if you had to pick uh, one or two people of the players you've scouted so far to become like top 12 or 15 guys, uh, whom would you pick and why? So we've only done three so far. We've done Mobley, Suggs, and Scotty Barnes. I, w- I wouldn't say it's fair to say that I'm not enamored of Mobley. I, I think Mobley, I feel, uh, I would feel pretty decent about him as a potential top five pick. Um, Suggs, and, and Suggs, I don't think that it's, that he's clearly not going to live up to the level of being a top five pick. I just don't quite see the superstar upside for him. You know, if you're really talking about value, getting a very solid starting point guard at the number four, number five pick, historically, that's actually not that that bad 
it's just a question of like oh man we we drafted Jalen Suggs and now this is our superstar that we're building around if you're say Toronto that's like going a little bit too far uh for me and Barnes you know we uh don't want to spoil too much what was in the the pod there but the the lack of shooting was really concerning again about a player that you're hoping to get superstar upside on and I do think that you know there's the average value of a top five pick but I think there's going to be a big theme in the in this draft that the getting a top five pick isn't just about all right your median value of the number four pick is this it's the your median value is this but you also have a 15 percent chance of getting an all nba player and so that's where with Suggs and with barnes i'm you know a little bit disappointed for you know taking a guy in the top five like those guys but i do think that mobley does have uh that type of upside so i I'm, uh, you know, he, he certainly has some flaws and the concerns about him being able to play the five, I, I think are very legitimate. And if he can't do that, then that's going to limit his value a lot. But if he can play the five, I think he's got a, a very nice skill set. Uh, what do you think, Danny? I think that Mobley is the player for whom I can most clearly see like that that pathway. And part of why Mobley is intriguing, and we talked about this a fair amount in the profile, is that he has a way to be a difference maker on both ends of the floor. Now, it is not a guarantee that he will do so on either, much less both, but he has kind of more game with the ball in his hands. He can, you know, the, some of the decision making that he can do, some of the passes in his repertoire, and the possibility maybe potentially of a jump shot. And then the defensive tools are, of course, all there. I remember that going back to when I saw him in person at a, a Team USA event in Colorado Springs before the pandemic. And I was like, oh, this guy can piece it together. There's a, there's a lot to work with there. So I think that's a part of the argument. And with, and with Suggs, what's interesting is I can see it a little bit too. It's just that the the biggest things that he needs to improve are challenging to get to the level. So like if Suggs gets a way better handle and he starts really shaking guys, his physical tools are, are good enough that he can use that and then leverage it into getting you know good looks for himself and others and capable defensively and everything else or by a really good pull-up jump shot like he if he can get that to a level where it's just nails and you can't concede that you can do that so I see a pathway for both Mobley and Suggs what I think and sometimes it's hard to convey all of this nuance in any form podcast included is the idea that while I am not confident I am not expecting it is not the most likely outcome for either of those gentlemen for that to happen it absolutely can and part of the joy of covering the the league and doing so from when guys are drafted on out is that there is an immense amount of skill development and sometimes physical development that happens during that time. So both of those players can. I'm just not sure they will. How concerned are you guys about Mobley's durability at the next level? Because it seems like interior bigs are kind of skinny, especially if they have a high center of gravity, like get hurt. Yeah, that's one where I would really need to see some more data on it. I think you could also say, on the other hand, that it's the guys who, you know, your Yusuf Nurkic's of the world weigh a lot, and that puts, a, or your Embiid's puts a lot more pounding on your feet or your back or, or your knees. I would say that if I had to pick one between a guy being thin and a guy being thicker, I probably would actually just prefer the thinner guy just due to the less pounding and less wear and tear but i think that's something that would need to be studied empirically i wouldn't really feel comfortable making a uh a real evaluation uh, on that uh based on what uh, i know right now the the only other thing i would add is I try to look at the way a guy moves, especially when he moves with intention and doesn't look like his body is really straining. And with Mobley, I don't particularly notice that when I was watching him. Now, I harped at length on the podcast. I didn't think he sprinted hard enough. But when he did, it didn't seem like it was putting a ton of pressure on his feet or his ankles or his knees. And that is not, I don't know, as Nate said, I'd love to get the raw data on whether anything like that is predictive. But it is, you know, like it is something that I always kind of think about in the back of my mind is like, there are certain guys when they're running down the floor, especially when they're super big you go oh god like that just doesn't look good and the from anecdotally in my brain that seems like that's something those players often are maybe get hurt but everybody gets hurt sometimes well and i guess the one thing i, I would add about bigs is i think again this is a small sample obviously because there are just so few of these guys but once you get over 7-1 once you get into like a real 7-2 and it's particularly above 7-2 that injury record is not very good like there are very few guys who have made it a full career and unfortunately like the late sean bradley is probably the one that comes to mind of a guy who had really a full career that wasn't severely marred 
by injuries once you get above 7-2 and we're hoping that Porzingis is gonna be able to recover but the early returns are not amazing on that um I mean can you can you think of it who, who did you have in mind for examples of like skinnier guys that got hurt uh I mean they're they're pretty recent but both Isaac and Jackson have had have had injuries right and uh well and so is Nerland's Noel yeah yeah, and that seven-two thing doesn't bode well for Webbanyama, does it? I know he's pretty far away. But. Yeah, I mean, he's. I, I like that he's thin, and he. I mean, you can tell just kind of guys' movement patterns too when they're really like the really guys who look really smooth. You know, you, you feel better about perhaps. Um, and I mean, it, he's just such a ridiculously intriguing prospect that I, I think you would just have to go ahead and take him unless there's you know unless there's specific things that happened to him between now uh, and then but yeah like Jackson I wouldn't say I mean he's just kind of a normal size big guy to me I thought you were gonna say Anthony Davis um although Davis has never really suffered I think he's only had one surgery uh on his lower body at least but but the idea of like the because the theory that you're getting to Clifton is just like all right the it's just the power on the interior like wears guys down that type of thing yeah yeah i mean i would say you know like clint capella or marcus camby um you know like theo ratliff had a a long career i think i I would i'll put it this way i would just off the top of my head and again i would take all this with a grain of salt because i'd want to see some empirical data on it but i would guess that the skinnier guys tend to do better over the long term just due to the they're being less pounding and i'm not this whole idea of like okay you're more likely to get injured because you're wearing down um you know i don't recall guys like at least suffering an acute injury of like okay this guy you're like battling in the post and and you get hurt i mean maybe you're t- more t- your legs are more tired because you're battling the post to me i think that like sprinting out to the perimeter and having to sprint back and move more on the perimeter is actually more fatiguing than battling on the inside but uh so i i don't know i think all this is very much a a gray area and i other than the above 7172 thing i would try not to have it enter into my personal evaluation that much but you know a lot of people say it the way you do too so i'm not dismissing what you're saying necessarily no that makes sense um i guess my last question would be um it, so it seems like you both kind of like mobley the best of those three would you have rated him higher than you rated Lamelo last year like if he had been in last year's draft would he have been not for me yeah i don't think so i probably would have had him above everyone else though uh, i would say um yeah i, I think that's right just and really Lamelo, it's more just about the the position and the upside it just again bigs are kind of uh, you know all right if you're talking about Giannis or you're talking about ad uh, all right then but for your garden variety bigs it's just i think it's harder for them to to have an impact um all right let's take this one quickly in the comments here from mark uh can you explain the two for one is a rush shot at 34 seconds and a rush shot at under five really that much more valuable and i think the value of the two for one is that you don't necessarily have a hard deadline to take a shot uh because you can always just hold on to it and and try to get a better one right so if you're in a position where you're gonna jack up a shot and you really only have a you know a 28 percent chance of making a three then you just cannot do that, right? I think part of the value of the two for one is pushing it up quickly um, or being able to run a play where you expect that the guy's going to come off the screen with 34 seconds left or whatever it is. Um, But yes, I mean, you certainly should be willing to take a worse shot and particularly because it's a three, two, a lot of times on a two for one. I mean, you're going to get a two for one probably in one of two ways. You're either going to attack off the dribble for a three and probably get a decent look. You know, like you're not jacking it up like it's the very end of the game. Like if like you're going to pick the ball up and if the guy's on you so much that you can't shoot it, then you just pass and you maybe lose your two for one. Or you're going to push hard, uh, treat it almost like it's a fast break and blow by the guy and either get to the lane. And then if you don't have the layup there, then you can kick it out to somebody. And if that guy doesn't have the shot, then you're under the two for one. So I think there's a little more optionality to it than people recognize because you you're, yes, you are trying to get the shot off then, but you still have to have a certain level of look to where if you don't have at least that then you're not going to take it and so as long as you're not just making an absolutely horrible decision on what you're going to take on that first shot of the two for one then the math 100 percent anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets 
from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us out. I don't really have anything to add there. So instead, we can go to, um, I'm going to pronounce it Kayo, but I'm going to get that horrendously wrong. So please tell me the correct way to pronounce your name. Oh, it's actually Kayo. I'm a huge fan from Brazil, founding members and stuff. Well, thank you. And I'm choking right now, but... Uh, That's all right. T- take your time. We, we got you. Uh, recently, Hollinger put out that piece about uh, Golden State pursuing Pascal Siakam. And uh, since I have Pascal Siakam as a slightly negative contract, wouldn't the Warriors be better by sending Wiseman for and pursuing an Anobi? Because the salary actually don't don't make them deep into the luxury tax, and therefore they can probably keep Wiggins, and then they have the their Igodala five at least somewhat five Hamptons and stuff. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. I I agree with you. I mean, the, John and obviously, uh, you know, we do the pod together, uh, and he hears more stuff uh, than I do. But I, I do kind of agree with you a, a little bit there, Kyle. Bit that I would rather have Ananobi now. Ananobi might have more value uh, than Siakam, and maybe the thought is, well, Wiggins is also a negative contract, and we're trading him for Siakam, who's a negative contract. But uh, as I talked about, John, I think that Wiggins may have more value because I don't think that the Siakam Draymond fit is a perfect perfect one so that's my my thought on that i you know i didn't really like that one too much for golden state particularly having to give up a, a bunch of assets i i do think that ananobi would help them uh, a little bit more i mean and then you would get back to really having this monster defensive team now there probably is a thought maybe that they need one more score but perhaps that could be jordan pool or or perhaps they could make a trade for someone like that during the season so i i'm in total agreement with you kyle what about you danny I am in agreement too. I, I think that OG's contract is is a very good one and that if Toronto wants to move it, they should ask for more. And Siakam, I think part of the weight that his contract has, and this is so funny when you think about the reason Siakam's contract is so high is because he made, that was second team All-NBA, correct? Um, uh, yes, yes, it was It was second team All-NBA last year, amazingly. Is that Siakam, I mean, I don't think OG, as much as I love him, I don't think that he has that like super duper megastar upside either, but OG is not making 33 million next year and then continuing to move forward with that. And so if you think if you think that a player is very talented and and maybe they can thrive in a different role than they have been given. And I mean, I'm not comparing the two because you're not going to, but maybe something like James Harden in Oklahoma City, where where Daryl Morey correctly believed that Harden could be more for them than he was for the Thunder. Then you maybe think about that contract differently. But Siakam, as much as I appreciate what he does and his role on the on the championship team in 2019, he isn't really like, I think we've kind of seen when he is a bigger part of the offensive machine that the offensive machine is not as dynamic so a player like that making that much money is a challenge and Siakam 20 this was his age 26 season next year will be he already turned 27 he turned 27 in April so I I'm in agreement with you but if Masai Ujiri is in agreement with all three of us then that could potentially make it more difficult to get a deal done now as you said the Warriors have assets they have resources and bringing up I think I think it's a very important point and an astute one to bring up that Wiseman makes a lot of money like Wiseman 9.2 million for the coming season and then the number seven pick if you do what happens 
happened with Andrew Wiggins back in the day with Cleveland, and you sign that player and then move them, that player makes 5.5 million. So you can get, you can't get to like Siakam levels, but you can do a lot with that. And so I would be interested in the idea of kind of using, having the, the salary ballast of Wiseman, not saying he is salary ballast, but just saying that 10 million is more than you usually are, owe, you usually owe a young player. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting idea. And to complete the thought, uh, my my thinking was well everybody in the league sees Wiggins as a negative contract and but Nate pointed out on different occasions that he thinks the Warriors actually have a specific need of Wiggins uh, function within the team and therefore why not don't th- don't sell the bad contract that way and therefore you can I don't know use Wiseman the seventh and the fourteenth for Anunobi you got your timeline uh, way ahead uh, in the sense that Steph Prime is not wasted. And I mean, why you're sending a negative contract away that it only eats up your assets when you can keep them and use them. No, so that's, I can, I can, that's I can, a, great, t- a great way to end that. Yeah, I agree. I can touch on that briefly, though. I think part of the reason why there is smoke surrounding Wiggins is that there are a lot of players, and Siakam is one of them, that have a high salary. And if the Warriors are not looking to add too much money to their books, the most logical way for that to happen is through Andrew Wiggins, because the only other players on the Warriors making more than Wiseman's $9.2 million are Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Stephen Curry. And odds are, none of those guys are being being as seriously considered in trade. So it's like, if you want to get a player making 25 million, making 30 million, making 35 million, Wiggins is the most likely path. I agree with you on the merits that trading him, in some ways, it's sort of similar to the guy that he was traded for back in the day, Kevin Love, where if a player is a negative value contract, then you have to have a reason to offload them. And that's why I don't think the Cavs are going to trade Kevin Love anytime soon, unless there's some sort of more complicated machinations, is because you don't want to give up the resources to have somebody else take on that contract if the guy can actually help you, and in the Wiggins case. And so I think that it is a challenge, and it's part of why I think a Wiggins trade is difficult, not impossible, but any trade chatter around the Warriors is probably going to involve Wiggins because there is a whole universe of transactions that only really are possible if Wiggins is included. All right, great question there. Uh, Let's uh, move on to our next one here, Danny. Absolutely. Um, Let's go to David. David, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, David. Hey, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I am actually uh, stealing my question from, uh, I think, a Reddit post I saw uh, a couple of days back that um, I thought had a really obvious answer, but I guess um, kind of went the other way in the discussion. And that is, um, who would you rather have right now, um, either starting as a free agent or like as, as of signing them or um, on their current contracts, Cat uh, or DeAndre? Ooh. Ahead, well, so ahead, one Danny. note, one note, one note. Just to start with it, the money for those two guys is about to get a lot more similar because DeAndre Ayton. I mean, not right now, but Ayton is going to be on. He's going to probably sign a big extension this offseason. Either way, he's one year away, and Carl Anthony Towns is on a deal at about the per year value. Towns is making thirty one, then thirty three, then thirty six. So Ayton will probably start lower than that, but then he'll be working his way there. So the money part of it does matter because Towns is going to be an unrestricted free agent sooner. But it, it's more about the player than where they're going and everything else. And I'll let Nate talk first on the actual player part and then I'll work on my own answer because I'm still thinking about it. So, I mean, I assume that DeAndre Ayton is going to be getting at least $25 million a year. And I mean, many people are talking about him as a no-brainer max. The Suns are the favorite to win the championship, even if they don't. A, a big reason if they don't win it is probably going to be because of what happens when he's off the floor. He has uh, been an essential player for them. And perhaps even because they have no other viable big man on the whole roster, that that might even have led to him be his impact on this team being more than what you might realize just because they have absolutely no one to replace him. Now, that I doesn't mean to minimize his contributions at all, particularly guarding Anthony Davis, even more so guarding Nicole Jokic. Like, there are not a lot of big men who can do that uh, the way that he did. Now, maybe if if uh, the Nuggets have better guards who could get Jokic the ball on the move, then maybe he wouldn't have been as effective. But you know, in the context still, it's not like Portland was able to stop Jokic and Aiton did a pretty good job on that. And I don't think he's done a great job on Giannis so far in this series, but then his offensive contributions are very valuable as well with his ability to finish well around the rim some of those hook shots you know to make that those plays at like a 60 percent clip like he clearly is one of the best role men in the nba and so like that 
has a lot of value now part of why he's been valuable is that he is clearly the sun's third best player right now and possibly probably the third best player but maybe not even necessarily their most valuable if you are going against say you know full strength clippers teams or the type of or a uh brooklyn nets team the type of teams you normally would have to play against who have great wings then you might say mikhail bridges would be a more valuable player than him uh going forward or a more indispensable player even if you might rank Aiton higher at his position among centers than you would among uh, uh than you would Mikhail Bridges so it, let's say you just have a random team now and you're paying DeAndre Ayton like one of your top two players on your team I don't think that looks very good for most teams I think you can argue that DeAndre Ayton could have more value to a team that's already really good than Carl Anthony Towns because he's better than Towns defensively but if you're talking about most teams in the NBA I think I would go with Carl Anthony Towns because I think he's still has the capability of being a top 20 offensive player in the league and a guy who can get close to making you a pretty good offense by himself and so that is a more valuable skill set for most teams and if you want to say all right Aiton at 15 million versus Towns at 33 then maybe I'd rather have Aiton because you're not forcing him to be one of your top two best players so I think Aiton is probably going to be a little bit overrated uh going forward here and maybe Towns would be better defensively on a team where he didn't have as much of a load uh but I probably don't think that's the case but still uh, Towns to me is the by far the more valuable player um that was a lot a long time to talk there but I think just kind of calibrating Aiton's value and what it looks like what your team looks like if you're paying him the max is a really important way to answer that question it is and I'm happy you I'm happy you went there partially now because now I don't have to but I, I think that <laughs> Aiton, his lack of defensive versatility wasn't as important a thing. Now, they were able to handle the Clippers, and they were able to kind of get through that, but they also faced the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard, which makes things a little bit easier, to let's say. And I think that Aiton, you know, there's, so there's some schemes where it doesn't work, and he can be, he's very talented offensively, and we've seen how the Suns have, have used him well. But here's one way of kind of talking about it, and, and DeAndre Aiton has a, you know, I think he has a totally reasonable role within the Suns' offense, and if you were to envision, you know, him on a on a better team, he wouldn't be doing a lot more self-creative, but maybe you'd be feeding him more than you have to with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, because those guys are really, really good. But so Aiden, he's hovered around 20% usage basketball references version of the stat over the years. It was a little bit higher in 1920 and then lower this year is actually career low. Carl Anthony Towns, who you and I would both argue has been underutilized in terms of his role within the offense, he's in the 28-29 range now, and you could maybe even kick it into, into Jokic territory if you wanted to. That doesn't even include the larger role that he has within the passing game compared to Aiden. And yes, Carl Anthony Towns is much more limited as a defensive player. But I don't think you're talking about either of these guys as being the best or probably the second best player on a really good team. Aiton slotting in as the third or fourth is fantastic. If you could have Carl Anthony Towns as the third or fourth best player on your team, guess what? You'd be really, really good too. Yeah, well, so so David, you said you thought the, the question had an obvious answer. Is it different than the one that we gave? Uh, no, I mean, you guys um, pretty much ended up with the same answer I did. I just, um, I don't know. I I thought it was more obvious, I guess, than you guys did. Um, but you guys raised good points. Um, well, so I, th- I think, and not to, you know, like to, it's true of any group of people. I think that it is often important to understand the context that things are happening. And so Carl Anthony Towns has shouldered a pretty heavy burden when he's been in Minnesota and whether that's you know some of the coaching things or having Thibodeau as the coach GM for some of that time and you know everything else Aiton had some challenges early in his career too I mean he went to a Suns team that didn't have a lot figured out even though Booker was really coming into his own Aiton's rookie year but that is a much more favorable circumstance and it's amazing to say that considering where the Suns were than where Towns has been and so that oftentimes especially when somebody's getting the shine of being a positive player in the NBA finals and we saw how especially in the first half Aiden's foul trouble really affected the Suns and everything else and it's 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 harder to envision that for Towns because it really hasn't happened other than I mean he did make that 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 playoff team when Jimmy was on the team too but it hasn't run that way and so I think a lot of times players in a smaller role on successful teams get praise and shine that they wouldn't otherwise and like one example of it and it is for me was that Ariza when he was on the Lakers like when in his early years and they was successful and then he goes to the Rockets and he I think it was the Rockets or the Pels somewhere and he had to take a much larger role and he wasn't good at it 
And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, he's trash. It's like, no, he's good at a very specific thing. And when you try to overextend his role, he's not as good. That is true of basically every other player in the NBA. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I saw it, with the Wolves being kind of as much of a train wreck as they have been, and Cat being still so productive offensively. I was, I don't just more impressed with that overall. I think he has the, the potential to become a Jokic-like offensive force. And um, I think... There's a lot of people that would take Jokic over Aiton, so that's just the way I always saw it. Um, so let's get to the comments here. Daniel says, uh, very few drafts have the top four picks pan out. Uh, he says, who uh, do you think could be the Odin or Darko type in this draft? Well, I think Odin would have been well worthy of a top five pick had, had he not gotten injured. Um, but he mentions that it could be Cade. Um, you know, I've watched some of Cade. I don't think that Danny has watched him yet, and I don't want to get into him too much because we're going to do a whole pod on him. But I would say, no, I, I'm a believer in, in Cade Cunningham being a, a very, very good NBA player. Uh, I would be shocked if he busted completely. I think he has an extremely uh, high floor. Uh- ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. What do we got next here from the uh, discussion, Danny? Sure, let's go to Mike. Mike, you are on the air. Mike got the solid cat avatar here, and he's also muted, but now he's not. Hey, Mike. Um, so uh, I just I remember um, hearing a lot about um, how this is a need to get a stretch five, and I just keep thinking, like, how many stretch fives are there actually in the league? I can like think of ten, maybe, off the top of my head, and there are like five or seven that you would actually want to have on your team. Um, so it seems like there's a lot of talk about them without very many actually existing. Um, and I'm also wondering, kind of related to that, should he be putting more, more basically big beefy cores at the five, essentially, like the way the Clippers did with Marcus Morris? And specifically with the, with the sixes, I was thinking like they could try out Tobias Harris at the five. You know, they, they basically didn't try anybody at the five except Mike, Mike Scott, really, and Dwight Howard. But that's, that's kind of the approach I would try to take if I were them. Yeah, so Mike, you were talking about uh, the Sixers needing a stretch five, basically? Yeah, the Sixers and just like the lack of stretch five in general um, throughout the league. Gotcha. Yeah, so I think that's there's something to be said for that because you're talking about a stretch five who actually doesn't suck on defense, right? I mean, that you're there are you know you're there's your Kelly Olynyk types, you know, or I mean, if you want to consider Frank Kaminsky a stretch five, though he doesn't shoot it that well. I mean, there's your Mike Muscal. I mean, there are guys who you know in theory are centers and shoot the three, but unfortunately those guys can't defend at the type of level that you need. There's I I like the idea too, uh, particularly on second units, right? Because I think that particularly with the Sixers that's a lot of what's being talked about is just you know especially to play with Ben Simmons you need spacing at the five you know Al Horford I think would count obviously and they the he actually was it's an underrated story of how good Horford and Simmons were together when Embiid was off the floor last year so for all, all that I think yeah there probably are not that many and you know we talk about Porzingis when healthy or Miles Turner you know as guys who can actually be a good enough center defensively and also space the floor being extremely valuable Brooke Lopez because you can build your team in so many other ways around them so I I love players like that but you're right that there aren't that many of them now maybe during the regular season you can get away with a Mascala type or a Kelly Olenek type as your center if you have much defense around them or you can go to kind of you know a Paul Millsap uh, who now played some backup center or Jermichael Green, whoever of those guys you want to say is the center. And then react to what you were saying about Morris, that can work, I think, but only if you're switching. I think if you're asking someone like Marcus Morris to be a conventional pick and roll defender and rim protector, that he's probably going to fail in that role uh, against 
all but the shittiest uh, opposing bench units. So uh, hopefully I, I hit on everything there. And Danny, you got anything to add? I do. I'll briefly run through this list. So what I pulled with uh, Basketball Reference is all of the players over the last three years that they have the listing as a, as a forward as being part of it. So a center, center forward, or forward center that are 6'10 or taller and that took six or more three-pointers per 100 possessions, not saying how many they made, and played 600 minutes. So because those are that's kind of like a basic filter because if you played fewer, then it's easy to get the sample sizes weird. There are 19 players that have done that over the last three years and fit all of those descriptions. I'll go from most appearances on that list to fewest. Brooke Lopez, Lowry Markkinen, Kelly Olynyk, Dario Saric, Carl Anthony Towns, Dwayne Dedman, Frank Kaminsky, Myers Leonard, Mike Muscala, Kristaps Porzingis, Miles Turner, Vucevic, Bamba, Baines, Cousins, Gorgie Jang, Marcus Alex Len, and the great Thon Maker. Yeah. So like you said, there's probably about 10 of them that you really would feel good about having uh, in your rotation. Um, so and if we're talking yeah. about even conceptual defensive positives on that list, you're getting thin really fast. I mean, Gasol obviously has been at ta- has been for throughout his career. Brooke Lopez, Turner, the theory of Porzingis, Jang, if he can put it all together, like it's a small list. Yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, you know, at, at 31, he's still a young guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good question here in the comments from uh, Brando, frequent Twitter commenter, big Wiseman stan, if memory serves, a big big Warriors fan. He asks, uh, Tyler Hero or Jordan Poole, who would you choose in a redraft and why? Off the off the cuff, I, I haven't looked up the splits for when Poole came back from the bubble and looked so much better. But my inclination is that the best run of Tyler Hero during the 1920 season is probably better than that. Better than Poole's run there. Though that question being as close as it is, is more, I would say, a cre- I mean, it's both a credit to credit to Poole and a blemish on what Hero's second season was. But I, I, I think it's... For me, it's hero. I, I but Jordan Poole making that a conversation is impressive. So I, I guess I would go with hero. Uh, you know, I was relatively lower than the consensus on both those guys until Poole just started balling in the second half of, of this year. Uh, particularly if they just send him down to the G League once a year, because every time he comes back, he's like an order of magnitude better. Maybe they should just do that every year. Uh, I, I don't think he'll be spending time in the G League this year. But uh, you know, I think that hero ha- is the more versatile jump shooter he's got the better mid-range game i would say maybe he's a little bit better and more intense defensively does more as a rebounder uh you know i don't think either of them are really great defensively pool i think has a little bit more size if memory serves um and uh hero doesn't have a great wingspan i think pool is the better passer you know i i think on a second unit that jordan pool has the more of a capability to actually run your second unit and run some pick and roll than hero does think he's actually been underutilized in that aspect some for the warriors and as a shooter you know i I wax and wayna on uh, who's better there so i think they are pretty similar players honestly uh now hero i believe is younger by a, a year or so but uh you can correct me if i'm wrong there so I think I mean I don't think it's a, an illegitimate question at all. And I always thought that Hero, you know, for had a, some hot games in the bubble, and obviously his team did really well. So uh, another one of these guys, like we talked about a little bit uh, of more role player types. I mean, he, yeah, he scored a lot in a few games, but it, so much of what he was doing was just on like hitting some very difficult shots from the outside. And if he's not hitting contested jumpers, he really has very little value. Whereas I would say Poole has a little bit more versatility to his game. So I could go either way on that. I think just Hero being younger, maybe a little bit better defensively, and maybe just a little bit more uh, versatility of the jumper, I might go with him. His highs that he reached were have been higher than Poole's highs, although Poole hasn't been on a deep playoff run to establish that himself. So, uh, you know, if Poole hits that open corner three to tie it against the, the Lakers, maybe I'd be saying Poole. It's very close to me, I would say. Uh, just, just so we have it out there, Hero is roughly six months younger than pool um oh, june of, all right well yeah june of 99 for pool january of 2000 for hero all right so less than i thought even yeah i mean it is it's very close and a very legitimate question and uh you know certainly pool is on an upward trajectory and i think too you know that you have these negative rumors maybe i should go pool because there have been some pretty negative rumors about heroes lifestyle and you know ethan skolnick saying that you know 75 percent chance that hero gets traded in the offseason whereas pool 
everyone just loves his work ethic all the time like the he's like the gym rat that everyone always raves about the warriors um granted we hear more of that because we're local here than you know you might hear elsewhere but so maybe it should be pool okay let's jump to jared jared you're on the air <clears throat> excuse me uh hey guys uh thanks for taking my question um i also have uh, a nba draft question uh, i hope that there's not too much overlap here with uh, what uh, I think it was Clifton asked earlier. But I wanted to ask a specific question from the uh, podcast Sunday on Jalen Suggs. And I agree with a lot of the criticisms that you guys had of his game and then also made here today, specifically the ones relating to him as a as a ball handler in the uh, or a primary uh, initiator in the half court. So I was wondering what you guys think of the idea of Suggs' highest upside position uh, actually being the two instead of the one, but where he's playing the two, but his specific role is more like of a 1.5 hybrid player, maybe like a more athletic Alcom, uh, excuse me, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, or or something in that in that vein. So it's it's interesting. I mean, in the in the early part of the film, I was more optimistic on on Suggs, and part of it I had to caution myself because, as as I've said many times in this space and others, that Dante Exum was one of my biggest mistakes, and it was the idea of like, oh, if he if this player really talented, if he can't be on ball, that he's still going to be as useful. And the answer, the part of it is, they typically can't. And Suggs has more uh, he has more on the table than than Exum did in my opinion um though some of that is obviously colored by what's happened since I I, I don't think I can transport my brain as fully back to that point as, as I could but the other part of it is think about what a player's role what their responsibilities are and their value if they're primarily off ball or if they're off ball a lot and so that means Jalen Suggs has to be a very reliable catch and shoot player because a especially somebody guard sized who the other team does not fear or does not sufficiently fear to take shots, it's going to be really challenging for their offense. And Suggs, this year, 11 of 37 on catch-and-shoot attempts. That's a very low volume, and that's also not the kind of success rate that you want. And his overall, like, shooting, a three-point shooting wasn't particularly inspiring. Though, I mean, he can can get better, and I I bet that he will. It's hard to make as valuable a player there. And Suggs could be a secondary ball handler. I think he has some, and I think that he has some positional versatility defensively, too. So I think he could fit alongside another player. And, but, A, that guy is less useful to a good team, because you need somebody who can actually run the offense and B, he doesn't have like it's not like it's a no-brainer like oh this guy's a 40% three-point shooter and so if you put them up ball they're going to be Clay Thompson like Suggs doesn't have that kind of shot he doesn't have that kind of background that I I would say one thing I would add to that is just if you think about building your team, if you're playing with the two, Danny put in the idea that you know you really need to be a very reliable three point shooter, which I, I think he could get there, but I sure. uh, I'm not I'm not sure about it. But then your other problem is that you need another point guard who can run pick and roll, and then what's that guy doing when Suggs has the ball? You know, let's say you you're putting him next to like Ja Morant or something, right? Like Morant, a you're kind of wasting his skill set to have him be off the ball but then also he's not a great shooter and so most point guards are not great off ball players are not great shooters and so yeah if you want to kind of mix them together with you know a Trey Burke or something you know two point guard lineups on the second unit uh you know I don't I don't like his size a lot defensively at the two either you know I think he could be is more effective at the one if he can guard his position there so uh, the big value of him is all right now he, he fits in at the one he can do everything at the one and now you put the rest of this team around him where you can play spread pick and roll and and everyone else can fit into a normal position he just kind of places stresses on your requirements at every other position if you're playing him at the two so that's i I think he could be effective in those roles and he can guard some twos at times so it's not like he can't play like that but it you the value ends up getting lowered if you feel like you need to have another uh you know small guard on the floor who's also going to be able to run pick and roll with him the only thing i'll note is i'm a little bit i think i'm more optimistic about Suggs guarding run-of-the-mill shooting guards but like you know like this more standard you know we're like what you face in the regular season though i do echo that for the best of the best or in the playoffs like that that would become a real problem yeah and i guess you know my theory uh of playing him at the two more is is and in the interest of of just full disclosure uh i'm a, a gonzaga graduate uh both uh uh, undergrad and graduate school so I basically watch all their games uh this year 
And and the reason why I guess I, I brought it up is that Gonzaga would run their offense a lot through uh, Drew Timmy in the post, which would which would give Suggs chances to um, get in, in good uh, positions off the ball, whether coming off the screen or cutting or things like that, where he could uh, let his athleticism play without having to worry about uh, breaking down the defense in the in a traditional point guard kind of way. And I was thinking about how he would look like, say, in Houston, for example, if if uh, he could play off of and run, you know, I would love to see him running DHOs with uh, uh, crap. I forget the name of the uh, uh, Christian Wood. Yeah, Christian Wood. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, some something like that, or I mean, I mean, he's not going to end up on Miami, but but with somebody uh, like Bam Adebayo or Christian Wood, or or playing off somebody like that. But uh, um, I think what what you guys said, uh, 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 you guys also had a lot of good points there. Well, well, Jared, I think that, and this will be this will be going towards your Zag fandom. Um, is that if you could guarantee me that Jalen Suggs was going to be on a team with the level of spacing that Gonzaga had last year, I would be much more optimistic about his role off. Ball, but that team was like there are different kinds of funhouse mirrors where you think about like the different ways that players stats or their profiles or everything can look different in a good or a bad way like rj barrett at duke where it's like oh my god how could he be on a team with worse spacing and then incidentally he was his rookie with the knicks but with Suggs, i mean timmy and kispert and a lot of the other players in the rotation like that was one of the most talented offensive environments we've ever i've ever seen in college basketball maybe the one of the most talented ones that ever existed and so that made it a lot easier for Jalen Suggs to thrive in these situations, not only because of the spacing, but also because you brought up Drew Timmy. He's a nice passer. Like you, you don't often get a, get in, get into those circumstances. And sure, I agree with you that if Jalen Suggs can get into one of those circumstances, it could look very good for him. The practical concern is that that would be a luxury. There aren't that many teams that have that sort of a thing. And this actually ties in. I'm not comparing them as players at all to something that I've brought up a lot with Ben Simmons when people say, "Oh, what about Simmons with Carl Anthony Towns, or what about Simmons with this guy and this guy?" And basically a lot of times it's big so you can shoot is that it's nice but you generally like the focus should not be putting a player who's maybe your second or third best offensive player in a position to succeed it's putting the team in a position to succeed and generally speaking those those aren't sustainable for exactly that reason um so i like Suggs. There, there's a lot there's a lot there but it's hard to pinpoint that circumstance and say oh yeah it'll definitely work there because it's hard to find all right we got time for a quick uh, lightning round here danny yeah we got, we got time for a quick lightning round um we will start with roman roman you're on the air hello hey hey um can we so uh you know i'm a sixers fan i want to circle back to the ben simmons problem oh boy. um so i posed this question this trade proposal to hollinger and a few of the uh, sixers local writers um and they all said it's too much but this goes back to zach levine uh, who i think is the best option we can get i think Lillard, there's no way so my thought was simmons uh maxi a first possibly seth curry for levine aminu and possibly sataransky and the reason why you know people say it's an overpay but i'm i think i'm with nate especially on um you know the problems of having a um lead initiator who can't shoot and can't really create offense um in high high level situations and i just think zach levine is almost as good as devin booker and you know my dream scenario would be somehow to pair him with kyle lowry for more competence in passing and that would be the starting point and then uh, you know so i just wanted to your thoughts uh, wanted to hear your thoughts on that trade I just think that Vucevic trade to the Bulls really hurt the Sixers, in my opinion, because they're probably going to double down on trying to be the seventh seed. And instead of what they should do is rebuild and trade a Zach Levine for picks. Yeah, we'll see what, what happens there. To me, if Zach Levine indicated that he were willing to re-sign, now the Sixers wouldn't really have a way to pay him what he's worth until free agency, but if he indicated that he was willing to re-sign there, then you know, I don't think that's like a crazy number. Now, Curry is someone that I would really want to hold on to due to his role-playing abilities, but if you could keep him out of it, no, I don't think that's a, a crazy amount uh, to give up, but then I'm probably lower on Simmons than uh, just about anyone else. What about you, Danny? I think that you should be willing to put in 
non-elite assets. And, and you know, Maxi and the first are, are both totally fine. They're just not crazy. You know, we're not talking about the like t- a top five pick in the draft or anything like that for the player that you think is absolutely the right fit. And I'm probably a little bit lower on Levine than, than both of you, but I'm not that much lower. And I think that Levine's fit in, you know, for what Philadelphia needs of somebody who can both play on and off ball is useful. And also the potential of that swap basically alleviating not the financial risk because of what Nate brought up, but the the risk that that Simmons kind of that his confidence and some of these things erode further is is something that I think Philly should do. And so if you get a player, you trade Simmons not for a future player or something else, but somebody who can help you right now, who fits in, who is prob- who hopefully ideally is amenable to coming back. Then you're you're solving a lot of potential problems in one deal. And when you're solving a lot of potential problems in one deal, then you throw in more of the resources that you have yeah that's fair um yeah i I just think if we don't get a lead initiator and you know i think cj is significantly below the level of brad beal or levine or i mean dick lillard's a whole other thing um i I almost feel like there's no point to trade simmons we should you know he's under contract we should just wait one other quick trade proposal that i think i just want to run by you um what about tobias harris for gordon hayward I just think Tobias Harris is the perfect Charlotte Hornet. You know, it's consistent. He plays all the time. He's like pretty good. And whereas Gordon Hayward's a bigger risk, but he's also a little bit cheaper and he plays a better position for us. So, you know, just want to, want to, and then I'll, Gonna hang up. Yeah, I, would Charlotte do that? Would be my question. I think, and, and obviously Harris, that's the one thing that he brings is he doesn't get hurt and he's reliable. But I do think that he he's another one of these kind of structural problems that this team has, where you know if you're not going and Hayward can run a little bit more pick and roll, he's just a better passer then Harris different as a defender but I would say relatively similar quality at this point I thought Hayward was a little bit better last year than he had been previously but he gets hurt every year too which when you already have Joel Embiid that's not amazing you need someone who can like kind of keep you afloat in the regular season um you know you do get off of uh the contract of Harris which I think goes a year longer than Hayward no it's the same it's the same actually isn't it they're both four years so uh yeah I, I think like you're raising your ceiling by doing that if you're Philly and I'm not sure what the Charlotte Hornets uh, would think of that I, I might be into that a little bit as the Hornets just because your uh LaMelo is kind of a little bit more ahead of schedule and Harris will be reliable if you're trying to make the playoffs this year and, and Harris is a little bit younger um, all right, I think that's about all the time we have. So some some lightning round. We did like a six minute discussion after we after we referenced that. But uh, great to have you all in here again. And this should be coming out as a a podcast. Like we're gonna try and do that. We still have some uh, technical difficulties, but we're gonna see if we can come up with a workaround there. So hopefully uh, you're listening to this afterwards as well. And we'll uh, talk to you tomorrow on Dunton Prime. Don't forget too, we got a uh, Hollinger. And I are doing 2 Eastern, 11 Pacific for Spotify Green Room tomorrow as well. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.